Welcome to EOV Spotlight, presented by Economic Opportunity Board of Clark County in fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada. In this podcast, we aim to provide more resources and answers to help achieve success. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, we'd like to welcome you to today's uh, version of EOB Spotlight. Uh, we have a great guest today. I am so proud to have uh, our executive director from the National Community Action Partnership, uh, Ms. Denise Harlow. Uh, she's going to give us an overview of what's happening at the national level with community action. Maybe describe a little bit about um, what community action is, how it operates uh, nationally, and then how, it, uh, how that filters down to us here in the state of Nevada. Um, once again, my name is Lawrence Beasley. I am the Interim Executive Director and Chief Operating Officer for the Economic Opportunity Board. Uh, and we are broadcasting, not just on our social media, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, but we are also uh, streaming uh, on our radio station, uh, KCEP 88.1 FM. Uh, if you have any questions, please be sure to uh, give us a call. Our dial-in number is 702-647-3688. And let's get started. Welcome, Denise. Thank you for being here. We are so proud to have you. And how are you today? Well, I'm doing great. Uh, thank you so much for the invitation. It's great to have this conversation. I look forward to wherever we take the conversation here today. <laughs> but let me start off by saying Happy Community Action Month. Um, the month where we recognize and thank all of the community action agency folks from across this country. So I look forward to today's conversation. Outstanding. Well, it's very good to have you here. Yes, this is Community Action Month. We've had some programming in and around the Las Vegas Valley to uh, kind of get the word out about what Community Action Month is, how EOB is related to that, what it means to be a community action agency, and then uh, give an overview of some of the programming that we do. But from the national level, can you uh, give us an idea of what community action is? Uh, what does the partnership do? And then uh, how's that related to uh, community action agencies in and around the country? Sure. Um, this nation is blessed to have 1,000 plus local community action agencies that touch 99% of America's counties. In every corner of America, there is an organization um, that has the infrastructure to fight and address the causes and conditions of poverty. That in a nutshell is what community action agencies are there to do. We help um, support and provide services that help families thrive uh, to, to increase family well-being, to provide stability and supports from WIC clinics where we're talking prenatal to senior services and, and assisted living. We run the entire spectrum of programs and services that touch families. Now, community action agencies, no two agencies look exactly alike in Nevada. Every CAP agency, I use the term CAP, um, community action program, but CAA is another term of art that people use. Um, every community action agency is different. Uh, 
and EOB is, is no exception, right? You provide your own array of programs and services based on the needs of your local community. And Community Action touches the lives of 15 million people every year. We have more than 15,000 volunteer board members serving and governing uh, these local organizations. And what makes community action agencies different and unique is that they are grounded in local community needs. They are required by statute to conduct needs assessments. So in every corner of America, these community action agencies are assessing local needs and also local resources, right? So if there are other organizations doing certain services, the community action agency doesn't need to do those services. So there's no duplication but can provide and, and find resources to deploy a different kind of set of services. I mentioned our 15,000 board members across this country. Um, what makes, again, community action agencies unique is our board structure. Our board is of and from local communities. One third of the board of directors that govern uh, these organizations at the local level, one third um, come from the private sector, just like other nonprofit organizations. One third are elected officials, which again, right, different kind of nuance. Mm -hmm. And one third are democratically selected individuals who live in communities with low income. Because it's about um, maximum feasible participation is the term of art we like to use. Because we believe that people who live in communities with low income have an opportunity and know best for themselves, what's gonna work? What, do they, what does the community need to help them thrive? And so by having a real seat at the board table, um, they're able to offer and provide and govern these organizations. And when you bring in the elected officials in the private sector, it is the entire community um, working together, again, to fight the causes and conditions of poverty. And I use that term very specifically, causes and conditions. Let's start with conditions, right? People are hungry. Uh, seniors need a place to go perhaps during the daytime and their primary caregivers work, for instance. We have children who need to be prepared for kindergarten. Those are conditions that we wanna make sure we address. We can provide meals, we can provide a senior center, we can provide Head Start or early Head Start services. But we also go upstream and get to the causes of poverty. We talk about um, these undergirding themes that, that, that have led us in our country to have an economic system, to have a housing system, to have an education system that has built-in inequities into it. And when we look at the issues, for instance, of equity, specifically racial equity, we know that our systems have been built in a way that there's, it's undergirded with systemic racism within our systems. You look at how schools are funded and how housing plans are developed and how economic dollars get invested into a community. So community action agencies, they run individual programs and services for families, but they're also going upstream, right? They're, right. they're advocating for good policies. They are encouraging policymakers to think holistically. They are fighting for social justice. It just really kind of depends on each individual organization about how they do that because they know their local community best. And our job at the partnership is to help support this network of a thousand dynamic organizations, whether it's through helping to support boards through training, helping to do communities of practice or learning community groups where agencies come together and share peer-to-peer -peer information, 
whether it's bringing people together for a conference a couple of times a year so people can network and get to know each other and build those relationships that are so critical to developing and deploying new programs and services. We do a lot of different things at the partnership to support this network. And I look forward to talking a bit more um, specifically about um, your organization, Lawrence. We're so appreciative of the great work that you're doing and that the whole EOB team is doing uh, to serve uh, the, the Las Vegas Valley. And it's just great to be here. So happy to go wherever you want to with this conversation here today. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much. Um, we, we appreciate that. And you alluded to a little bit of uh, each community action agency being responsive to the needs of its own local community. And I, I kind of want people to understand who are listening that this isn't really talking about herding a thousand plus different cats, right? This right. is, <laughs> I mean, we have a structure in place. There's uh, national guidelines that we follow. The Office of Community Service provides us uh, with guidelines and memorandum that we pay attention to and adhere to. And, and then also the partnership as a part of the trading that is provided at the national level, you, you guys give us that, that core direction that we need to make sure that we're operating these agencies efficiently and responsibly. Such a great point. Um, because this is a, a network of a thousand agencies, there are these infrastructure components. Community action agencies are have to report to many different governing sources in terms of funding and regulations. And some agencies will say, I have a monitor in my office every day of right, the year. Right. <laughs> so when you talk about accountability, community action agencies are highly accountable organizations. They have to comply with, you know, not to get into the weeds, but OMB, uniform guidance yes. in terms yes. of rules and regulations and how we spend our money. We can't just spend it on anything, right? You got to have a budget. You got to have a plan. You got to have a work plan in terms of the programs and services. We get monitored. Um, we are incredibly accountable um, for these resources. And community action agencies do tend to be larger than other nonprofits in their own local community. And they are oftentimes the recipients of these federal dollars. Not solely, the CAPs also get state dollars, they'll get private philanthropy, there are other resources that come in, including volunteer and in-kind donations, which are incredibly right. helpful. But these federal resources bring that level of accountability. So when you're working with a community action agency or you're donating to a community action agency or you're volunteering with, you can feel some assurance there that that agency is being looked at from an external side that they are having to go through some training, they're getting an audit, they're, you know, they're, and there are some components there that give you a sense that if those things are working, um, that that organization is gonna be strong and have the infrastructure to survive. Um, this network is 57 years old across this country. We have survived all sorts of political back and forth and changes because community action is in the middle. We are nonpartisan. We, we are in and of and from the community. And we are so focused on what happens with the family. And um, we are tr a trusted resource. And you're right, the partnership, we can do a lot of different kinds of training and supports. And in addition to Community Action Partnership, our organization, um, we have infrastructure groups like CapLaw, which provides um, assistance from attorneys. So for a nonprofit exec to be able to pick up the phone and talk to somebody who understands the nuances of federal funding, that's such a, a wonderful thing for this network to have. We have our advocates on the Hill through NCAF. We have our supports who work with state offices uh, through NASCASP. It's just really 
an infrastructure built because this country deserves an infrastructure to fight poverty. And families who are struggling deserve to have organizations in every corner of America that are there to respond in a crisis, just like fire departments respond. Community action agencies are that stability, that infrastructure for families to turn to. All right, and and you mentioned a, a, a couple of those acronyms there, you know. At the <laughs> yes, <laughs> I did. Sorry about that. <laughs> NASCAS. <laughs> so that NCAF, that's the National Community Action Foundation, right? And that it is, yeah. They provide. They're the representation that helps us, or at least assists us with what's happening at the legislative level nationally. Yeah, many folks, right, when you think about going to Washington, D.C. and knocking on the halls of Congress, uh, that can make butterflies in the stomach sometimes, <laughs> right, right? right? And then do I really want to go into that mess? Do I really want to do that? <laughs> Talk about herding cats, right? Herding cats, exactly. <laughs> and so, yeah, um, we are blessed to have David Bradley at NCAF, right? Um, we, mm -hmm. He is, NCAF is a 501c4, again, to try to, you know, if we're getting into the weeds a little bit, and he goes and knocks on the door of Congress and says, let me tell you about community action. Let me tell you about the great work they're doing. You know them in your own local uh, congressional district, but let me tell you what they're doing across the entire state. And then, again, a little bit in the weeds, but something called the Community Services Block Grant, CSBG, is what gives us our designation. It is a federal funding stream, but it's actually a very small federal funding stream, but it allows community action to leverage millions upon millions of other dollars. We, community action, there's, um, we, we leverage as a network, what is their CSBG, about 700 some odd million Seven, dollars. 70 something. Yeah. 770. Mm -hmm. We leverage $14 billion into communities to fight the causes and conditions of poverty. That's housing dollars. Wow. That's education dollars, that's weatherization and utility assistance in the midst of COVID, right? We're talking mm -hmm. about a lot of rental assistance. So that 14 billion is gonna grow. I think this year when we see all of these resources are needing to be managed in an accountable way at the local level. Um, it's been interesting to see, you know, some people think you can just throw money. Now <laughs> you need money. You can't right, do right. this on air, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> you gotta have the cash. Right. But you have to manage that cash in the in an effective and an accountable way. And that's what we're working on now is to make sure these federal resources reach families who need them and in a way that's in an accountable fashion. So but David, yeah, he's on the hill. Mm -hmm. He's advocating for community action and weatherization and telling the community action story. And and I think that's one of the, the great things about community action is that it is nonpartisan and supported by both sides of the aisle, right? I mean, we get yeah. a lot of support from our congressional delegation, not just in terms of the legislative um, goings on that happens on the Hill, but even when they come back home, I mean, they participate here quite a bit. Uh, our senators and representatives are, are in the office. They have a clear understanding of what we do here and around the state, there are 12 agencies here in, in Nevada, and they all understand what it is that we do. We speak to them regularly, um, at least, or, or with their representatives regularly. And, and it really gives them, uh, I guess, a boots on the ground kind of perspective of what we're doing with the funding that we've been allocated. Um, even when it comes to how do we use those monies to leverage other resources to be able to provide services to the community. 
And every congressional representative gets calls from constituents who are struggling. Mm -hmm. And those congressional representatives want to have a phone number that they can call or an email address they can reach out to. And Community Action for 57 years has been that resource on both sides of the aisle because all congressional representatives, all of us care about our neighbor. We want our neighbors who are struggling to be to be well cared for um, if need be. They need, we, all of us want opportunities and we want our neighbors to have those opportunities. And um, when, when congressional reps need on both sides and all sides of the aisle have someone that they need to have support, they know they can turn to community action. As can all of the folks listening here today. If you have family members who are struggling, if you have neighbors who are struggling, I encourage you to think about your local community action agency as a resource. They may not have the service themselves, but they might be able to refer you or your family member or your neighbor to an organization that can help. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And, and if anyone needs that service, please feel free to call us. Our number is 702-445-7105, or you can go to our website at www.eob capsnv.org. Again, that, that phone number is 702-445-7105, or you can uh, get in contact with us at our website, www.eobcapsnv.org. And for those of you who are just tuning in, uh, we're speaking today with our executive director from the National Community Action Partnership, Ms. Denise Harlow. Uh, she's given us some insight on what happens at the national level with the partnership and how that impacts community agencies, not just here in Nevada, but all across the country and in several territories, correct? <laughs> Puerto Rico, Guam, Mariana Islands, Virgin Islands. Yes, CSPG and community action is everywhere. Everywhere. So Denise, can you talk a little bit about, we talked a little bit about you know, what kind of impact we have and what, from a high level, what CSBG does. And uh, we talked a little bit about NCAF, but can you tell us a little bit about how all this started? I mean, we, we at EOB have a history that goes back about as far as uh, NCAP does, mm -hmm. but can you give us an idea of how all of this started, where community action comes from? and um, maybe a little bit about what you see the future entailing. Sure. In, 19, in the 60s, early 60s, it was a time in our country of, of quick moving change in some ways. It took a long time to get there, but in 1964, um, President Johnson, along with civil rights leaders, fought for the Civil Rights Act, the Voting Rights Act, and the Economic Opportunity Act. All three come from the same soil about creating opportunity, working towards equity in our country. And when President Johnson declared an unconditional war on poverty, that resulting Economic Opportunity Act brought along with it a myriad of programs and services and investments in this country, again, to fight the causes and conditions of poverty. And if you look at some of those initial founding documents, it talks about the role of community action. Community action was formed as part of the Economic Opportunity Act. Community action is not a program. CSBG is not a program. It is a movement to fight the causes and conditions of poverty. Has it 
ebbed and flowed and twisted and bent a little bit over the years to, to, to make sure that we stay relevant and stay engaged and, and stay as a permanent fixture in our country? Yes, because we have families who are still struggling today, certainly. So we also had programs like Head Start created near that time. We had qualified, federally qualified health centers. We had legal services. We had AmeriCorps and things like that, right? There are VISTA. There, there are programs and services that came out of that era, like Community Action, that have fulfilled missions to this day and will continue to do so as long as our country is, is in need. We've ebbed and flowed over the years. I mean, when you are federally funded, certainly who sits in the White House can matter. But I'll tell you, community action has had to survive and navigate both Democrat and Republican presidents. We've had to navigate Republican and Democrat-led House and Senate. Um, it's been an interesting time to watch community action kind of um, meld itself how it needed to in terms of, of being present to today. So every, in the 60s, actually, the money went directly to the, to the local agencies. And we saw, you know, thousands, more than a thousand agencies pop up very, very quickly in, in the mid 60s. So monies could be received in, in services, but also community organizing and things like that could be deployed. And as the nonprofit sector writ large, I would argue, has shifted and ebbed over the decades, um, like other nonprofits, community action agencies got very in, engaged in service provision as well as action on, on policy level. So today we see agencies who are deploying, again, tens of millions of dollars in an agency to provide programs and services, but is also invested at the state house and invested at Capitol Hill to talk about, again, those upstream issues to fight the causes and conditions of poverty. Um, it's been an interesting time if you look deep into our history, but it is grounded in that same soil of the Civil Rights Act, the Voting Rights Act and the Economic Opportunity Act go together and remain so today. So you talk a little bit about nonprofits, mm -hmm. but there are uh, two different ways, at least here in Nevada, that community action provides service, right? Through nonprofits, private mm -hmm. nonprofits, and then through uh, public entities, yeah. which are attached either to state or uh, county government. Uh, can you give us a, an idea of what the differences are between the two and how they operate? Sure. Well, out of the thousand or so community action agencies, about 80% of them are nonprofit, charitable nonprofit organizations, where if you give a dollar, you get to take the, you know, the tax deduction or however that works now that we have changed all of our, our tax laws in some ways. But they're charitable nonprofits, right. as you typically think of them. The other 20% are public caps. They're units of local government. They have similarities that the nonprofit has a governing board that is the legal entity, and then the public caps have an advisory body or an administrative board. But both boards have that tripartite structure. They have the elected officials, they have the private sector, and they have those democratically selected individuals from low-income communities. And there are positives on both kinds of models. I think on the nonprofit side, you think about philanthropy, you think about donors, you think about nimbleness and flexibility. When you're a unit of local government, you may have a little bit less nimbleness. I'll just say it that way, <laughs> a little less <laughs> flexibility maybe. But you think about the power of impact mm -hmm. at a municipality or county level government. 
your CSBG department can, can partner with the department that offers uh, TANF, Temporary Assistance to mm -hmm. Needy Families. They can partner with, with the, the food stamp or the SNAP division. They can partner with childcare. They can partner in different ways that we've seen some really creative public caps to some dramatic pieces to serve families and communities. And many public caps also then partner and subgrant money out to other nonprofits. Mm -hmm. So you see a lot of different models, both in public, there's models, and even in the nonprofit side of community action, there are a variety of models either. We'd like to say, if you've seen one community action agency, you have seen one community action agency. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, I know here in Nevada, we have, so there's a total of 12 community action agencies. Okay. And four of those are private nonprofits and the other eight are public entities. So mm -hmm. contrary to the, well, I guess in juxtaposition to the 80-20, we're, we're a little bit different here in Nevada, but I think that largely owes itself to the more rural nature of mm -hmm. everything outside of Clark County. Um, yeah, you see a lot of public caps in Colorado as well. California, mm -hmm. Texas has a fair number, Florida. Just really, there's a long um, history to that. But yeah, Nevada does have a large number of public caps and it's what works in that individual state. Yeah, um, yeah. And they do great work. I mean, they, they, mm -hmm. it's fairly unique. They really respond to the particular needs of their their area. Um, and and a lot of them are considerably smaller than you know what we do, but uh, they still provide the same amount of service, uh, at least in, in proportion to uh, the population density for where they are. But they're viable. They are a critical uh, response agent for uh, the areas that they serve. And they're well respected in their communities. I mean, they, the individuals and the staff there who perform those services are really well known. And even amongst those of us who are part of other agencies, we really depend on their assistance and insight when we're looking to provide new and different programming. Now, our public caps are such great parts of this network and they do some amazing creative things. And again, they have access to other folks and sometimes in government that we don't have when we're in the nonprofit side mm -hmm. of the equation. Mm -hmm. So we, we love having that experience around the community action table. All right. Well, we're just about out of time here. We got about five minutes left. Um, can you tell us a little bit about uh, I know you had mentioned um, some of the programming around uh, racial equity and um, a little bit about the pandemic, but can you give us a little bit more information on uh, those programs at the national level? And then at the end uh, of that discussion, maybe if there's anything else you'd like to add, uh, we'd be glad to hear it. Well, we are certainly still in, a, in the pandemic, are we not, right? Yes, we are. <laughs> I was so excited to get my vaccination. I did Johnson and Johnson, one and done. One and done. So positive and wonderful about that. Um, just I'm getting to have my first dinner with friends this coming Friday outside. It's going to be great. I, I just can't wait. But yeah, I'm so excited yeah. to have had my vaccination. And I hope everyone listening considers and talks to your doctor and find your reason why it's important to get vaccinated. We're, we're having a big push in community action to encourage everyone to get vaccinated. We know it's a very personal decision. I'm just saying I, I am very excited to be vaccinated. Yes. And do whatever I need to do on that. 
and community action has been just been stellar during this um, pandemic in terms of pivoting and responding and getting money out the door and helping families in new ways using technology doing drive-through food pantry or even dry, you know home delivered meals in new ways um, community action has really stepped up and will continue to do so as we look at rental assistance and utility dollars that are flowing to try to make sure families are stabilized because the economic impact of this pandemic it's it's still going to be with us for quite a while and we want to make sure families um, have some of those basic needs met so we so we can help ensure that they are able to thrive now a year ago today we saw the the murder of george floyd mm -hmm. and it galvanized the response galvanized this country in new ways that hadn't been seen in a long time in terms of scope and scale mm -hmm. people have been fighting for racial equity um, since day one of this country and um, the last year has been quite the journey for this country and community action has um, been very clear about our support for the black lives matter movement we are we issue have issued statements up on our website we have tools and resources to help local community action agencies facilitate conversations we come from a, a sense of, of working with john powell who talks about bridging and belonging we must bridge to one another we must find ways for communities to have conversations together. And we also work with Dr. Gail Christopher on her truth, racial healing and transformation initiatives. And that starts with truth. And we must speak the true narrative. We must learn the true narrative of our country so we can speak truth to where our country has been and where our country is headed. And so community action, one of our core value statements states that we understand and believe that structural race, gender, and other inequities remain barriers that must be addressed. And that we as a country have the obligation, moral obligation, to ensure that no one in, um, endures the hardships of poverty. And we can do that in community action. We can do that here in the United States of America. We can do this in Nevada. We have to come together. We need to bridge with one another and talk with one another. So um, community action can really have a role to play in that space. Exactly. and. and I'd like to uh, second those sentiments. Uh, we've been doing quite a bit of work here uh, just to make sure that as we move through the pandemic and it's been tough, not only from a resource perspective on individuals, but also from a mental health perspective as well. Uh -huh. People aren't used to uh, the kind of isolation that they've been experiencing and just dealing with the just the cuteness of it all, right? Um, mm -hmm. So great, I'm, I'm so glad that we had a chance to uh, bring you on and get some insight at the national level. Uh, I'd like to thank you for uh, being our guest today. And if there are any questions from anyone, please feel free to give us a call. Um, you can uh, reach us at 702. 445-7105, or again, uh, go to our website at www.eobcapsnv.org. I'd like to thank all of our listeners. And again, a big thank you to Ms. Denise Harlow from the National Community Action Partnership. Thank you so much, Denise. Thank you, Lawrence. And I should probably give out my web address too, right? I, I oh, would be yeah, remiss, yeah. right? <laughs> Doc, Absolutely. Uh, www.communityactionpartnership.com. There's a long story where we're a .com and not a .org, but communityactionpartnership.com. You can learn all about community action. You can find your 
local community action agency there and we encourage you to support and engage with your own local organization so thanks for having me Lauren. what a great right. way to spend a day during community action exactly thank you very much denise this recording originally aired on kcep power 88 but we're excited to be able to celebrate community action month with you this may 2021 our network is able to provide you with the best assistance you need Reach out to us on our website at eobcapsnv.org or call 702-445-7105. See you soon.